for me, it was the right fit you know, against the New York Giants. Like, this is this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I, I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast brought to you by the USA Today Network. I am your aforementioned host, Art Stapleton, and we actually got a Giants game this week. Yes, I know, preseason games are what they are, but I think we're going to see the Giants starters for a series of two or two. We're going to see this offensive line together. Who doesn't want, want to see Kayvon Thibodeau? Evan Neal, Wandell Robinson out on the field. I'm not sure they'll get Saquon Barkley too much action, but I'm sure there's an eagerness for Saquon Barkley to see Saquon Barkley on the field. And then, of course, the overanalyzation of Daniel Jones, and that will obviously continue, and rightfully so, over the next four months or so uh, until we get to a final determination, a verdict about whether or not the Giants extend Daniel Jones, use the franchise tag, or get into the market for a new quarterback. I have a feeling we're going to know that answer earlier than the end of the 2022 season, just based on the way things play out. But that's the way it's set up right now. As we all know, it is a big year for Daniel Jones, a big year for Saquon Barkley, And for Brian Dable and Joe Shane, they kick off their tenure here and expectations are really all over the place in terms of what people are thinking with the Giants. Uh, And a lot of it is uh, probably ordinary, average, mediocre, and below in terms of the outside perception. The inside perception has to do with the roster and I think we'll get some answers when some of the younger players start performing to see how quick of a jump they can make uh, because that will really determine where the Giants are and how they're competing within the NFC East. Uh, But, look, we've got all season to talk about expectations and where they're going. Uh, I just think there's an excitement. Uh, There is a little bit of a mystery to see how Brian Dable's offense comes together here. Uh, And when you say it's Brian Dable's offense, it's also Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator. Uh, So that'll be interesting. On today's show, we are going to have my one-on-one with Shane Lemieux, starting left guard for the Giants, heading into year three. Came off a, a pretty brutal injury last year that he tried to play through it. That did not happen. But there is no questioning Shane's toughness, clearly. And what he's done so far in training camp, you have to be impressed. He's been out there. He's been grinding. And we talked to him about that, about his journey a little bit, how many offensive line coaches he's had. He chimes in on Thibodeau, having been with him at Oregon for a year, and a bunch more with Shane. So I think you'll like this week's interview uh, obviously, Xavier McKinney and Carl Banks, the last two weeks, the bar is set high, and I think Shane uh, meets those expectations. 
And then the final segment of today, going to debut a new one. It's going to call the final drive. And I'm going to take questions from you, the listeners, via Twitter at art underscore Stapleton. Use the hashtag all in art. That's A-L-L-I-N-A-R-T. Send me along your questions, and every week I'll try to answer as many as I can to fit the final segment. Uh, I think it'll be a fun way to kind of show that we're even more all-in with the audience this year uh, in our coverage than even we have been uh, previously. So got some responses, got some good questions. We'll get to that in a few but without any further ado, let's get to Shane Lemieux. Offensive line, not a hockey player, but certainly is tough like one. Number 66. Here we go. All right, I'm joined here by Shane Lemieux in the field house, which is where I haven't been allowed in the last two years. You've obviously been here. Yep. Uh, Shane, welcome to All In. And first off, I got to imagine that as many practices as you can put together, you welcome it considering sitting on the sidelines is not where you want it to be last year. So what does it feel like to be back in the grind and Mm -hmm. and doing what you're doing? It feels feels normal, honestly. You know, last year uh, sitting out wasn't like me and it's something I've never experienced before. But at the same time, it's made me value football even much that much more. And uh, just just being out with my teammates, man, is so great, you know. And just getting back into my routine and every single day, taking it one day at a time. And you know, I'm very I'm very happy with my health so far. Last year, obviously, week two, Thursday night. I mean, you're gutting it out. I, I don't think anyone truly appreciated how much you were going through in yeah. order to play through a, mm-hmm. a patellar injury like that. Yeah. Um, how difficult was it for you to kind of wave the white flag at that point yeah. and say, I, I can't do Yeah, this. you know, I was I was in a mental state where I was trying to convince myself that I was fine so that it didn't affect me on the field. You know, I never I never said my knee hurted, hurt. I never, you know, told really – everyone knew what was going on, but I talked to myself into saying that I felt good. And it got to a certain point where I was going at halftime of the Broncos game where I'm like, yo – like, this isn't right. Like, I don't want to put anyone else at risk. And I decided to throw the towel in. And that that was really tough for me because I had the mindset that I was going to be able to play all year long. And, you know, I, I knew it was going to be kind of a maintenance thing that I was going to have to deal with all year. But um, I, that was really upsetting, you know. And I think I the positive side of it is, man, I had almost a year and a half to really come back and get right and get better. And, um, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really happy with where I'm at now. Yeah, you, know, you you corrected me, and I, I had it wrong in my head. I should have had it written down. Yeah. You were the Broncos game, mm-hmm. and then obviously Gates was the next week. Yeah. So talk about two gut punches in a row for yeah. you guys. It's tough. Uh, so, so you're back now. I mean, talk to me about what it's like being a part of this offensive group mm-hmm. and this line and what you guys are trying to build. Uh, maybe some more, like, like – Technique-wise, how does it match up with what you've learned? I mean, yeah. i got to be honest. It has to be a whirlwind for guys. It's your fourth position coach, technically, yep. Yep. since you've been here. Yeah, you know, I think the, the coolest aspect so far is we got me and Drew, who have been in the system, or not in the system, but the organization for a few years now. 
you got John Feliciano who's coming from Buffalo. He's been there. You know, Mark Lewinsky who's at Indianapolis, and you got a rookie. So you have this, you know, this mosh of, or this mesh of like different, different uh, organizational, you know, at different backgrounds and stuff, and coming together and you know what we've learned from every single different teams and just kind of collaborating together has been really cool so far. But um, yeah, it's you know. It's been a it's been a weird last couple of years, but I think right now I, we're sitting really well. You know, I think that we got a lot of you know positive energy, and we, you know, we're practicing better. Uh, everything's more detailed. Our routines are better now, and I, I, there's just more juice around the building. I think everyone can feel that. You, you guys up front. I mean, obviously, you know what it's like. You hear it all the time, and you, when you're trying to build something, and yeah. you have all these different pieces. Uh, Bobby Johnson was actually talking to us earlier today. We were talking about Evan Neal and the idea of having a rookie come in and having to learn a new technique and how a coach wants it. For you, you've been through now several. How many iterations have there been of your technique since you got here from Oregon? And now how does it fit up into what you're naturally doing? Yeah, you know... This is my fourth line coach now. So, I mean, it's every every coach has brought in a little, you know, twist to it. But what I like about Bobby is he understands, you know, how much like guys like me and Andrew, guys who had four line coaches in however many years, you know, he he understands where we're coming from and, you know, learning these new techniques. And I think what's what's nice about Bobby is Bobby coaches a lot of what my college coach coached me. So, you know, you know, it's kind of refreshing to see that and it's something you know that I'm used to. So I feel like I've been getting the technique down quicker than I would have if I didn't, you know, have that online coach in college. Describe the technique for me. Yeah. Uh, Bobby said it, he wants you guys to be aggressive and pass pro mm-hmm. uh, because, it, you know, you can't be passive and pass yeah. pro. But does that carry through to the entire, you know, what it – Layman's terms for me. What does that mean in yeah. terms of how you're you know, setting up? Uh, in the past game, a lot of the a lot of online coaches teach. I wouldn't really teach, but pass pro is really for offensive alignment. It's been taught, you know, all over the places. You're passive. You're letting. You're trying to be a roadblock, I guess. Where Bobby teaches more of an aggressive set, where you're flatter and you want to take the fight to the defense alignment rather than react to what he's doing. So it's a different, I think it's not only like a physical technique difference, but it's more of a mental standpoint. Like I got to get my hands on first and I got to take the fight. Um, but I think this offense is aggressive and everything, you know, everything we're doing, you know, in the run game, pass game, all that. We want to be the first to strike. So uh, being, being the first to strike for you guys on the interior, how, how much does that play into it? I mean, yeah. obviously we know Feliciano brings the toughness. Yeah. Uh, you I've certainly been a guy who's been branded by that toughness yeah. label. Um, how have you? How is? It, how are things come together on the interior? Yeah, you know, I think it plays to you know our interior guys' strengths. We're strong. We're physical guys, and letting us you know play aggressive and play fast. That's the most important thing: is playing fast. Because when you have to think about all these different things you have to do and all these different techniques and schematics wise, it makes you play slow. And the biggest thing with Bobby said, hey, go play fast and go attack. You know, and that's that's music to our ears. So we don't have to think about anything. We can go out and play and do our job and, and worry about our one-on-one matchup. Getting back out there on Thursday night for however many reps, you know, Dable has basically said, you know, our guys are going to play. Yep. I'm not going to tell you how many reps you're going to get, but you're going to play. For you stepping inside that stadium, uh, having been away for so long, yeah. I know MetLife was MetLife on <laughs> Friday, but uh, – Gonna be more juice for you a little bit. It's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be more juice because if you think about it, I really haven't played with fans. And so COVID year, I didn't have any fans. I played Broncos last year. There were some fans, but it was only a half. 
I haven't really played with fans, so it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I'm excited for it, you know. And it's, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, so it's gonna be a big change, you know. And I think uh, not a big change, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna add some more juice to the to the feeling for sure. But I'm excited to just get back out there, man. I mean, it's been a long time coming, and I'm excited, you know, to go against somebody other than our, you know, Dexter and Leonard. <laughs> so. I would think it's it's kind of funny because you know, in in years past, the last two years now, obviously. You know, your reps are a little different this year. You're out yep. there with the ones you've been banging and banging mm-hmm. and banging. Uh, but this coaching staff and the approach ph- philosophically, I mean, you guys have have been out there. I mean, yeah. there's really been no sugarcoating it. There's no, no, you know, I think I can count the number of vet days, quote unquote, for guys on one hand. Yeah. Um, you you got into it with that tussle with Dexter and, and Leonard that one day and when it happens it breaks up and then you're sitting in between them in the locker yeah. room. I mean, yeah. um, how is that physicality and just? I mean, I guess Kai's almost what what's that, that expression? The idea of you're you're almost building up calluses. The yeah. idea that you're getting used to it. Yeah. Have you felt that over the first two weeks that that you've really been put through the ringer at times? You know, I, I definitely think our offensive line is you know been battle tested so far. You know, we got a really good defensive line, and it's you know it's gotten it's gotten you know physical and it's got I mean it's competitive. So we're fighting tooth and nail, trying to do our jobs while the defense is trying to do theirs. And um, it's it's been a really good battle these last couple weeks, and um, I think this is only going to make us better. You know, I think this is the most competitive camp I've had uh, as like a team, team wise, offense versus defense that I've ever had. So it's going to be it's going to be really good in the long run. Uh, they, this team, the last couple of years, has struggled whenever teams run, you know try to play games and run stunts yeah. on you guys. Uh, you being next to Andrew now and mm-hmm. knowing how well you, the two of you play off each other. Yeah. Uh, is it night and day compared to where you were when you first walked in here till now? Yeah, you know, um, rookie year, me and Andrew both kind of figuring out on the run, you know, because Andrew was playing before I went out there. So he had some knowledge. Then I came out and I said, hey, let's just have fun. You know, I mean, I, I brought a lot of juice and a lot of, you know, f- little physicality to it. And, you know, Andrew and I were learning together our rookie year. And all OTAs and then all training camp last year, Andrew and I were building up this, you know, kind of this, um, what's the word for it, you know, chemistry. And now it's just like, hey, like I know what Andrews thinks. I know I'm, he knows what I'm thinking, and it just allows us to play that much faster, you know, because we take hundreds and hundreds of sets, you know, a day together, and just knowing the different angles that we're on, and you know, I know exactly where his feet are going to be, his hands are going to be. It really helps. So yeah, it hasn't been long ago. It might seem like forever that you were a rookie and you guys walked in here. Yeah. You look in your room and you see Evan Neal. Yeah. Uh, Feliciano said the other day that you know he's never seen a, a rookie act like a vet quicker yeah. than what Evan has. What are your impressions on Evan and how does he fit in? Um, he he's great, man. He's he's great. You know, I was just talking to him today. He told me that when he was 14, he weighed 370 pounds, and I was just like, wow. Like that's a because a lot of times offensive linemen they're either really skinny and they get big or they're really big and they slim down. I was like, which one were you? And he's like, I was always big. (laughs) I'm like, oh really? He's like, I was 11 pounds as a baby. I said, man. But uh, Evan's doing really good, man. He's physical and he's huge. He's athletic. You just look at him, you're like, man, like he's he's got it, you know. And he's he's working the new techniques and he's getting better every single day. Um, playing, you know, playing at the league, you gotta adjust your techniques a little bit. That's the biggest yeah. thing. Going against these pass rushers in this league, it's, it's tough, and he's got to make sure that he's dialed in with his technique, and he's been doing everything to get to get right on that. And um, it's it's been fun watching him kind of be a 
be a master of his craft. You know, every single day I see him in the treatment room doing you know, prehab exercises and all this kind of stuff, like like a vet vet does. Like I saw John said, he's the most veteran-like rookie yeah, he's ever he's ever seen. I agree. You know, I'm only year three, but I don't think of him as a rookie. You know, he gets on that number seventy-three today too. It's almost oh, like uh, Superman putting on that yeah. cape. <laughs> it shows you. You guys don't even. You guys don't even, even play. You're playing next to each yeah. other in the same model. You don't even realize. I did. Yeah, he's got seventy-three on now, yeah. so I think it's like Superman getting his cape it's, back. It's good right? for him, man. You know, that's cool. That's cool. <laughs> um, as far as uh, you know, you you go in, you look around the league. You play with guys in college. Mm-hmm. The big games you play, obviously, you know Justin Herbert and what he was able yep. to accomplish. Did you? Have you ever, I mean, I don't even remember if you, you were probably weren't even on the trip last year when you guys went out no, to LA. No, I wasn't, no. So I'm sure you were home watching that game. Yeah, yep. One of those things when he uncorks that, that throw, yeah. where you just kind of shake your head and go, yeah, seen that before. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I think coming out, a lot of people didn't really think that all, that highly of him, you know what I mean? And I've, well, we lived together for a short period of time in college, and, you know, that's that's one of my close friends, and he's, he's a great dude, man, you know, yeah. Talented, incredibly talented, talented yeah, right? Yeah. All right, let's play a uh, play a little game. We, we do like four downs. Uh, and, you know, I I've called it a bunch of different things, but as far as fun stuff, who yep. would you say is the funniest guy on the team? Um, Hottie, yeah, Hottie. He's, In what way? Because I think Hottie yeah. kind of pushes the envelope a little bit. Yeah, he um he just says the most off the wall things at the most random times, you know, and he's got a huge personality. Um, you know, he, he likes, you know, he's always the loudest one, you know, in the morning. Right. He's like, Hey, everybody saying hello to everybody. And he's always got some joke to say, but he's always, he's always got, you know, just the most random things like, Oh, hottie, that's hottie, you know, <laughs> Jihad Ward. Yeah. Uh, um, so, all right. Are you a big music guy? If you uh, had to go to one concert, what would that, what would that be? You know, I think I, I saw the coolest concert ever. It was, uh, Garth Brooks. He was one of my favorite country singers. He was playing in Autzen Stadium at, you know, the okay, University of Oregon Stadium. He had, like, a tour, and I thought that was just the coolest thing. You know, my favorite country singer playing in my college stadium. Right. It was it was awesome. I got to meet him, and that was, that was pretty cool. But, you know, another one, I'd like to see Metallica. I think that would be cool. So Garth Brooks and Metallica. You know what? <laughs> in today's day and age, it wouldn't be that shocking no. to see Metallica and Garth Brooks on the same show, could, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, all right, you mentioned Oregon. Yeah. I have to ask you, as part of this, what's your favorite or your best Kayvon Thibodeau story? Oh, let me think. You know, I really, I really didn't interact with him other than that one. You know, we had one year together. Right. So I think the biggest thing was in the Pac-12 championship my senior year. We were playing Utah, and he had, like, a gang, man. He had, he had a strip sack. He had a bunch of pressures. He had a, a, a punt block, you know, that basically sealed the game for us. You know, on the field, that was, I think, the biggest memory I have. That that was his first, I think, coming out game where it was like, this guy's going to be dominant in this conference and then for our team and then look, look where he is now, you know. I think a lot of people expected him, because of his personality off the field and, and draft prep, expected him to be a talker on the field yeah. and really boisterous. He's the complete opposite. Yeah. He seems yeah. very purposeful. He's very and business. Quiet. He's very business approached, and that's the same way he was in college. You know, I think um, you know our our coach in college did a good job of you know disappointing us, not disappointing us, but um, making sure that we are very detailed in everything we do. And you know, you can see that. You can see that. And I, I don't think KT was ever. I think he came in 
even from high school, you know, given he was a five-star recruit, I think that he came in knowing, you know, how we needed to act because he was so, you know, above everybody else in high school that he felt like he, he already knew what he needed to do to become a professional. So. Uh, last one would be, you're, you're, I used this as a mainstay a lot last year. You're stranded on the desert island. Mm-hmm. Everybody picked Leonard Williams to be with Leonard Williams on the <laughs> island. So we're going to give Leonard Williams to you. You can be with Leonard Williams. No fighting. Yep. <laughs> but uh, you got to bring two other guys. Who are you bringing? Oh, why? man. I would say John Feliciano. And want to say why first? So John Feliciano, just because he's a wild guy, man. He's he'll find a way to get us get us find find water, do something. He'll just right. I trust him. Um, the other guy, I would probably say Jamie the punter, just because Jamie yeah, Gillen. Huh? Yeah, I'd say Jamie the punter. As Why? Well. Yeah. Well, I just think uh, I don't know. He's he's a, another wild guy, you know. I think he's a very interesting cat, and I think you'd keep us some, give us some good company. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't expect you yeah. and Jamie to, to kind of be hanging out, so that's a good one. Yeah. All right, let's close this this uh, interview. And again, I really appreciate your time, and you've been banging out there for for three days in a row now. Um, if if Shane Lemieux is plotting out this year, how, what are your expectations for you? You're, you're I would imagine yeah. you're in a position where you want to build something here. Yeah. What What are you thinking in terms of going out and uh, and getting this season going. You know, I don't have any set goals. You know, my biggest goal the last year and a half has been been, been be healthy for training camp. And I think um, I've reached that goal. And I think the next thing is get back to doing the things that I, you know, I need to do. You know, I want to be a tough physical football player, you know, and I don't really have any, like, you know, I want to get this many knockdowns or I don't have like a, you know, I just, I want to, I want to win, you know, and that's the biggest thing. I, I've, we've been losing for the last two years and I'm, you know, I want to win. So I'm going to do everything I can to do my, you know, one eleventh, and just uh, put the team in the best spot I can to help. Yeah. Shane Lemieux, awesome! Thank you very much Appreciate for joining me this week. Thank you. And uh, healthy the rest of the way, and Thanks get sir. out there and start hitting people. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Shane. All right, and again, many thanks to Shane Lemieux for joining me after practice. Uh, I hope you guys appreciate uh, the audio. Give me some, give me some feedback if you can off of how we're sounding because this summer we are in the field house. So we are not on the patio dealing with planes and trains and automobiles and all the wind that blows in the Meadowlands off the Giants practice fields. So hopefully uh, that is working well and hopefully we can keep that going for as long as, uh, as the Giants allow us to do that. So kind of set up in a little tent in the field house it's a great setup. Uh, guys get to come right off the practice field, and then, uh, you know, we we get at it. So, again, thanks to Shane. Wish him a healthy season because if he stays healthy, it'll be interesting to see his growth and his development as a player. He's certainly important to what the Giants are trying to build up front. Uh, and I do think it's kind of funny, you know, when I asked him about Evan Neal's switching to 73 and he didn't even realize it. it just shows you how focused some of those guys are they're in the same huddle uh albeit playing on the opposite end of the offensive line uh and didn't even realize that neil had switched from 70 to 73 yesterday for the first time he gets his college number 
Uh, so he's thrilled about that. And, uh, you know, obviously the Giants hope that it's like, as I said to, to Shane, Superman got his cape back. So hopefully uh, Evan Neal um, can kind of take his game up. It'll be interesting to see if you're listening to this after uh, the Giants preseason game in Foxborough. We'll have a little bit uh, more stuff on that next uh, next week's show. Uh, but if you're listening to this on the way up to Foxborough or getting excited seeing the Giants, uh, I would expect Evan Neal is one of the players that Giants fans want to see most against the Patriots in his first real live action uh, against another opponent in the NFL. Certainly on my list of guys to watch. Uh, okay, so let's get to our final segment. Appropriately enough, the final drive. And this is going to be all about you guys, Giants fans, people who listen to All In, who want to be a part of the show. Try to do this every week. I think it'll be fun. So let's jump right into it. Sam Caruz. uh, That's Sam underscore C-A-R-U-S-5. What do you think about Josh Azudu's role and what it'll be this year? Will he strictly be the backup guard, or will he see some time at tackle? God forbid something happens with Evan Neal and Andrew Thomas. Well, it's a good question, Sam. And the unofficial depth chart that the Giants released, Azudu was was listed as the backup at left tackle and left guard. Now, do the Giants want to play Josh Azudu at tackle? No. Um, But I think this is a short-term, long-term situation. As you noted, Andrew Thomas and Evan Neal are the starting tackles. The Giants hope that they could just pencil their names in for the next 10 years and not have to worry about it, uh, let alone the next four months. So if those guys are on the field, obviously Azudu is not going to be playing left or right tackle. So his snaps at tackle will be limited in practice during the season. I think ideally the Giants allow Azudu to develop at left guard. They don't want to think about uh, Mark Lewinsky and moving off of right guard because, you know, as long as Lewinsky is healthy, he's going to be at right guard. Shane Lemieux is the fly in the ointment for whatever plans the Giants may have had to have Azudu Uh, start at left guard. And I think it's a great situation, to be honest. For all the problems that the Giants have had and may have with the depth issues, uh, I think they start Lemieux as long as he stays healthy and performs. I think Azudu will continue to develop. I think he'll be active on game days. And I think that flexibility that he's shown a little bit to play tackle they could use him as a jumbo tight end. They could use Azudu, and that could be how they get him on the field, especially early on, especially with the tight end depth chart being so thin. Uh, so I think that's that's his role right now. He is the sixth offensive lineman, so he will fit in wherever he needs to be if they're healthy. If they're not healthy, then they have to make a decision. If they were to suffer a long-term extended injury to either one of the tackles, then they would have to make the decision whether or not Azudu moves into tackle or if they would have to go out and get another tackle 
uh, and play him there. And I think those are conversations that they've been having. I don't think they want to confront a situation that Andrew Thomas or Evan Neal isn't on the field, but it's certainly something that uh, they have to plan for. So great question. Appreciate it. We'll have to see how things play out. But um, thanks, Sam, for reaching out. You were the first, so I appreciate you uh, you being engaged. Uh, next one is Keelan. Who will have the more impactful rookie season, Daniel Bellinger or Wandale Robinson? Now, this is a loaded question, Keelan, and I do like it because both are going to be running with the first team. Both are going to get opportunities. But I think Wandale, in terms of volume, is going to dwarf the volume of Bellinger. And that doesn't mean that Bellinger's not going to be involved, but if he gets one or two targets a game, that's probably going to be his standard until he truly gets into the flow of the offense. And I'm just not sure, outside of the red zone, how much this offense is going to use a tight end to start. Because, I mean, to start the season, not to start. I think Bellinger will be used as a blocker. I think he'll be used uh, as a safety net for Daniel Jones, but I don't know necessarily if he's going to be getting four or five targets a game. Meanwhile, what we've seen from Wandell this summer, uh, he is going to eat up the volume of this offense if things go well and he continues to show that he can get open in the slot. You know, we'll see what happens when Sterling Shepard comes off of the pup list and gets put back into this offense. Uh, but right now, I'd say if you're looking at numbers and impact, it would be Wandell. By the end of the season, if you've seen the full gamut of what Bellinger can produce, especially when you consider him as a blocker, I think he might get into that conversation and make it a little bit closer call than uh, what it appears right now. But thanks for the call. Thanks for the question. Certainly feels like a call-in show, but I appreciate you uh, you reaching out. All right, next questions. Isaac Medina, which criteria do you think will be more decisive for the Giants to considering giving Daniel Jones a new contract? The Giants' record or personal numbers? Uh, boy, come with the loaded question, Isaac. Uh, I don't know necessarily if we have the definitive answer, but if the Giants have a good record and they are contending for the playoffs, I don't think that happens if Daniel Jones is their quarterback and playing poorly. So it's kind of a loaded question in that, look, if they're seven, eight, even nine wins this year, Daniel Jones either A, played very well, or B, got hurt, and Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback and somehow leads them to that. Uh, and then you'd have your definitive answer there either way. Uh, personal numbers, I don't know if personal numbers, you know, if you're telling me, oh, Daniel throws for 3,600 yards, you know, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions, I don't know necessarily if they have a baseline for any of that. Uh, I, I think it's a feel thing. I think it's an opportunity thing. You know, that goes back to the record as well. If you have a good record this year or a middling record, you're costing yourself an opportunity to get one of those young quarterbacks in the draft. And then the decision will be on Joe Shane, the scouting department, and Brian Dable and his staff to decide where they're sitting. So right now, 
I think performance is linked to the record. That's kind of how I see it. Um, but it's still a long shot that Daniel Jones gets an extension or even forces the Giants to use a franchise tag on him. Uh, there's a lot of football to play, and what we've seen, Daniel Jones still has to prove that he can be at his best over the course of a long season. Uh, and if his best is good enough, his best against the Saints last year in New Orleans, if he puts that on on tape consistently, well, then I think you're dealing with a different argument. So hopefully I answered that for you, Isaac. Uh, Fares Muthana. Tried getting a real name. If that's your real name, what a great name. But you said the offense is looking shaky. What can I attribute this to? Is it just a new offense? Give it some time. Or if these people ain't executing, or is it Daves and Kafka lacking in some coaching department? Well, I don't think it's lacking in the coaching and the design. I think the design so far from what we've seen on the practice field are very intriguing, and I like it a lot. And it does mirror what they did in Kansas City and Buffalo and really what has been trending for the top offenses in this league. Uh, the offense has looked shaky. I think you have to realize that a lot of this is is timing and getting to the point where Daniel Jones and the wide receivers are seeing some of these option routes the same way. I can tell you that there was a an RPO route in the scrimmage that one of the wide receivers blocked when he should have run a route, and that was because he misread the coverage. And had he read it properly... Daniel Jones would have hit a 60-yard touchdown on the play. There are plays, I'm sure, that Daniel Jones has overthrown the play or shorted the route. These are things that they need to work on. That's what practice is for. That's what training camp is for. With what the Giants have been through, it's understandable that fans would look at it and say, it's got to be better, it's got to be better, we need some urgency because of what they've done and what they've had in the past. But it's just something to consider that, yeah, it is too early. It is. It's three weeks into being on the field. They've been in pads, what, five times total? So let's see how the preseason plays out. You have to give Daniel Jones and his receivers an opportunity to get into the mix. They haven't even game planned for opponents yet. So keep that as context. But um, that's what I would look at it. I'd also say this, going against the same defense, the way Wink Martindale runs his scheme, he's not letting down for anyone. And uh, I can tell you for a fact that some of the DBs have jumped routes because they picked up the hand signals that they've known. They've watched this, t- this offense run since the spring. So you see a guy jump a route and get a pick six, Darnay Holmes, early in camp. And then you come to find out that Daniel Jones used the same hand signal at the line because you're not trying to fake out your own defense. And Darnay saw it and jumped the route and went f- went for a touchdown. When you hear those stories, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, you hope that that's not going to happen in the regular season because the other team is not practicing against you every single day for all of training camp and then going all the way back to the spring. So credit to Darnay Holmes and other players on the defense that know kind of what's coming with the with the offense. And you tip their cap 
But you certainly look at it and go, well, don't cheat too much because they might catch you next time. Uh, the Giants haven't done that yet, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see them try to change it up on their defense a little bit to see if uh, if they can catch their guys guessing. Um, next question is from Anthony Bordenaro. Is the wink defense slowing the development <clears throat> of the offense? <clears throat> I think you're... You're dealing with exactly what we just talked about. Wink Martindale needs to get this defense going. And the Giants are not game planning for Wink Martindale's defense. So as much as I joke with Mike Kafka the other day, you know, when they hit that screen for 21 yards in the scrimmage last Friday, does he want to call more screens just to beat Wink's defense? And obviously the answer is no. You're not trying to beat Wink Martindale's defense. You're trying to get your offense ready so that when you start game planning for the Patriots a little bit, and then for the Bengals and the Jets in the preseason, and then obviously week one against the Titans, you're going to try to start running plays now that are going to work against the Titans, or you believe are going to work against the Titans' defense. That's why they ran their cards practice on on Tuesday with the Giants' offense going against the Giants' defense, but one side playing the scout team because they're trying to get some of these plays that they think are going to be in play for week one going. So you're not going to design a ton of plays to beat the Patriots on Thursday. That's not what this offense is about. So to answer your question, yes, Wink's defense is giving this offense fits because it just doesn't match up. They're not game planning against Wink Martindale's defense. Now, that's not to say they wouldn't be giving them fits if they were, but that is some context that I think is very important uh, to include here when you're analyzing training camp. All right, the final drive, the final question comes from Ben G. Meester Superman. Will the Giants finally hit 500 at some point this season? And that all right, tough question, considering we're not sure how the season's going to play out. It is possible that they lose some games early on because this team is just trying to get together, and they just, they're just they constantly fighting for that opportunity to get near 500. But I'll give you a stretch where we're going to know if this team could stick around 500. You've got... Week 7 at Jacksonville, week 8 at Seattle, then a bye, then week 10, the Texans, week 11, the Lions, okay? There's a four-game stretch there where, look, at this point, I know everybody's going to fall in love with the Lions because they're on hard knocks and they're improving and whatever you want to say about Detroit. But those four games, Jacksonville, Seattle, even though they're both on the road, then Houston and Detroit. That's a four-game swing. You know, you go three and one, maybe you're looking at a team that's right around 500. You've got some difficult games early on. Maybe they surprise one. Maybe they drop one that you thought they would win, which is similar to what happened with Denver last year, and that's how the season kind of got off to a terrible start. You lose to Denver, and then you go Thursday night, and you lose to Washington, and all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball. 
That four-game stretch right there, I think, is a possibility that the Giants, if they hang close and win some games early, come together quicker, that four-game stretch represents an opportunity for them to get back in into that 500 mix and maybe... You know, maybe just maybe you're at the point now where some teams suffer some injuries, you stay healthy, and now you're really in a position to compete second half of the year. I think that's kind of what the Giants have to hope for this season in year one for Brian Dable and Joe Shane and company. So, Ben, thanks for that question. You are the final Hail Mary on the final drive. Hope you guys enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Keep those questions coming. Again, hashtag all in art. And that's on Twitter. Send it to me at art underscore Stapleton, and we'll do this every week. So again, for Shane Lemieux, for my producer, Paul Wood, and his lovely daughter, who was able to come out to camp. And if anyone saw that Barkley sign with Saquon Barkley, that was her. So uh, congrats to, to your daughter, Paul, and was a, another great show, and We appreciate everybody being all in. I'm on my way up to Foxborough, and we will be back next week. We'll get another great guest, and we'll roll on. So stick stick with us right here, because we're all in.